All right, welcome back to the Squid Talk Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Ezra Freck. I said that right, right? You said that right. Hell yeah, man. I'm glad. Dude, you're you're Mr. Everybody, bro. I feel like, because how old are you? 21 or 20? I'm 18. You're 18? <laughs> oh my God, I got that wrong. Bro, You and you've already done so much. Um, quick introduction. Um, Paralympian. You've got a few medals. I mean, like what you've already accomplished in terms of athletics is absolutely insane. And I remember I sat down with you at lunch a couple months ago and it, it reminded me of like that saying with Tom Brady and Robert Kraft where he looked him in the eyes and he's like, I'm going to be the best decision you ever made. I remember you looked me right in the eyes and you're like, yeah, I'm going to hit the triple crown in LA. <laughs> and you were very humble about it, but you were also like, there was a lot of confidence in that. So I was like, damn, like, all right, let's see it. That's fucking, that's fucking sick. Um, so dude, yeah, I'll, I just want to say like, congrats on everything that's been happening in your life, dude, you're a stud. I appreciate um, it. And yeah, I, I, I wanted to have you on because I think this is such an amazing story. I think a lot of people out there, young and old, whether it's in athletics or business, whatever, can, can learn a lot from you and your mindset. So like, take us back to the beginning. Um, you're born no hand, no leg, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, I appreciate you having me on. It was, yeah. it was, it's always cool to meet like-minded people, people who view the world the same way. And I always felt like when we, when we chatted, we had that, that same perspective where it was, you know, we're both humble about it, but we're both very confident about our, our goals. And You're a lot more humble than me, by yeah. the way, but so respect. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I believe yeah. you have to have a little bit of that conviction. And I, I felt that when we talked, we both had that. And that was a, that was a cool conversation. You know, no cameras, nothing, just, just us getting lunch was nice. So the medical, the medical background for me is I was born with one finger on mm -hmm. my left hand. And I had a lower left leg that was curved up towards my waist. And I had a surgery at about two and a half years old where the doctors amputated the leg right at the knee. Because if I had a leg that was curved up as I get older, that would just sort of grow up towards my hip. It would be super, I would be super immobile, wouldn't be able to function properly. So they amputated that. I then just had a stump mm -hmm. that could fit into a prosthetic much easier. And then they took the big toe that was formerly on the left foot and put it onto my left hand. Oh, I didn't know that. So I went from, I mean, if you think as a, as a baby, you have one finger, everything is held against your chest. All my toys I was holding against my chest. But then I got a second finger and I could, you know, I could pick things up. I could oh, yeah, hold nice. things. There you go. So completely transform my hand functionality yeah. as a young kid. And um, so that was that was a pretty crazy time. I was, I was two and a half, 15 hour surgery under a microscope, doctors connecting nerves and tendons and arteries that are literally smaller than the width of a hair. Mm -hmm. And but that surgery, of course, has been unbelievably impactful. And it's yeah. I'm grateful my parents made that decision. That's pretty remarkable that they were able to essentially turn like nothing into something on that end right there. That's, literally. that's definitely game changing. It was in my left arm actually the doctor said my left arm was supposed to be a lot shorter than my right arm, sort of this weak arm that didn't really do anything. They thought maybe half the length. Mm -hmm. But because growing up, my parents always encouraged me to use my left hand. I, I think I was actually born lefty. I would eat food as a little kid with my left hand, played sports using my left hand. My left hand ended up growing much longer and being much more functional than they ever thought it would be. So now my wrist to wrist, only a few inches off but I can, I weightlift, I play basketball, I do whatever with this hand that the doctors originally thought wouldn't be much, which yeah, is cool. That's great. I, I like how you brought that up. I think that's absolutely monumental in terms of your journey. I, have you ever, um, you, have you heard of Ed Milet? He's like an entrepreneur, um, public speaker, like performance coach. And he did this, uh, he did this podcast with this guy. Um, I think it was called Victim to Victor. And mm. it talks about how this dude was 
completely burned alive at a young age. Like mm. 99% of his body lost his hands, lost his feet. And when he finally got back home, his parents said to him, like, you have every right to be the victim. Like, people will look at you and say, like, oh, I feel sorry for you, whatever. Or you can turn this into, like, your power, your superpower, right? Mm -hmm. And so from an early age, his parents, it sounds like very similar to your story, were not like, let me help you. It's like, no, you have to figure it out on your own, right? Do yeah, you feel like that 100%. Was, do you feel like that was instrumental in your development as a person, your character? Absolutely. Living with the physical disability, it's so easy to play the victim. It's so easy to feel like the world's against you, feel sorry for, your, for, sorry for yourself and, and fall into this, this pit of sadness, wallow in the darkness. Mm -hmm. I felt... Like there were moments where I could have slipped all throughout my childhood. I mean, I, everywhere you go with the physical disability, there's people staring, pointing fingers, whispering. You feel like an outsider. You feel like a zoo animal literally everywhere you go. And for me, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere growing up. And my parents always told me not to not to slip into that, that, that victim mentality, feeling sorry for myself, feeling this self-pity, but rather recognize my disability as this beautiful opportunity to not only change the way the world views disability, but also push past the expectations of other people. And so I, I flipped it. I, they taught me to use that as, as a motivator rather than something that I could easily fall into a depression over. Hell yeah, man. Well, it's remarkable already, like what you've done in your athletic career. But yeah, one thing that really stood out when we talked was like, why you're doing this. Mm. Can you give a little background for everyone listening or watching? Like, why are you so motivated to keep achieving more in athletics. You've already gotten the medals, you've been in the Olympics, like what, what, what pushes you? Yeah, I think, I think for anybody pursuing anything truly great, you must have purpose behind it. You must have purpose behind it because there's gonna be days where things don't work out, doesn't feel like it's going your way, all hell's breaking loose. It's not fun at certain points, but having purpose behind it, having meaning behind what you're doing, gives you the perseverance to get through anything. And my purpose, I believe, is to normalize disability on a global scale and be an example of what is possible as an amputee. And I think the best way I can do that is by going down as the greatest Paralympian of all time, changing the way the world views the Paralympics, and then in turn, using that platform to normalize disability by seeing proper disability representation. We talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion all the time. Disability is that last frontier. Disability is not included in that conversation historically. Dis people with disabilities are not seen in the mainstream media. And you've seen what Michael Phelps has been able to do for, say, swimming, where he took the swimming movement and drug it into the mainstream media, what Conor McGregor did for the UFC. There are these people who are able to transcend the community of which they started in and drag it into the mainstream media. And I think that I can be that person for the Paralympic movement, and then the ripple effect on normalizing disability will be huge. So at the end of the day, you know, I just won my first world title a few months ago. I broke my first world record. All of this is exciting stuff. I hope to continue to win medals and accomplish my goals on the track, but I would trade every single medal and every single record if it meant I could change lives in the process. And that's what I think my true purpose is. Dude, fuck yeah. And so what you're going for is that I think you told me, right, the triple crown yeah, in the 2028 yeah. Los Angeles Olympics, right? Yeah. So when the games come to L.A. in 2028, I want to pull off something that I've called the triple crown, which is a gold in the high jump, a gold in the long jump and a gold in the 100 meter. Never been done before in the history of the Paralympics, history of the Olympics, mm -hmm. track and field in general. Nobody's won those three. And I plan to do it in my hometown, home city 
at LA 28. That yeah, that must be. I know I know you can do it, and that that will be the coolest. <laughs> the coolest thing that, that's such I got goosebumps when you told me that over uh, over lunch I appreciate and, and, and it and then there's gonna be a movie it. made about it and that's <laughs> another thing is not only are you like this incredible athlete but dude you're doing everything like right you model <laughs> right don't you have like a charity as well yeah, yeah, you, yeah. I know you were telling me about have, has that happened already you were supposed to like act in some movie or something coming I was up supposed or... to, I was supposed to yeah I mean listen here's the thing with the entertainment oh, wait, could you also pull this a little in front of you yeah yeah right perfect here. yeah, yeah. Perfect. Oh, that, that's the thing with the entertainment industry in general which is right every there's always a million things happening and some things fizzle out and some things don't end yeah. up working I always pride myself on not just being an athlete I want to create a brand that stretches far beyond sport because that's how I'm going to bring the movement into the mainstream media in the first place and that's how I'm going to attract new fans to the Paralympic Games and, and normalize disability, as I say. So yeah, I got, I got into the fashion world a little bit. I do some public speaking every now and then. That's public speaking, one of, my, one of my biggest passions. I have a nonprofit where we do adaptive sports for people with physical disabilities. So year-round equipment training and competition for, for people of all ages with physical disabilities because there just hasn't been a real adaptive sports pipeline mm -hmm. in Los Angeles before we came along about 10 years ago. And, uh, and then, yeah, I was going to get into the acting a little bit. The movie ended up kind of falling through. Not really, yeah. not really ha I mean, listen, anything can happen. My schedule is, is pretty packed and I have only a certain amount of free time, particularly leading up to Paris and then very, very little time after the games this summer. So they would have to be very specific about when they squeeze the, the movie in. Cause acting is a big commitment. That's a few months I'm going to have to spend on set wherever. And, uh, so I don't know how likely that is to happen, but listen, maybe I get into the acting when the career's over. So yeah, dude, well, you kind of touched on something that I wanted to touch on myself, which is timing. How do you have time for all this stuff? dude? Mm -hmm. So most people say, most people have a job and they say, I don't have time to work on something else, to, to work on a side hustle. I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time for a relationship, right? And I even find myself falling into that all the time. Like, even right now, we were just kind of talking about this before the podcast. I feel like I don't have time for, like, dating right now, something. Yeah. And that's really important, you know? So how do you have time to do all... You're doing so many different things, and you're in a relationship, and, and you just keep, like, adding things on, it seems like. How do yeah. you manage your schedule? That's a great question. I think it's about establishing priorities. So priority number one will always be the track. If I don't win this summer, nothing else matters. Yeah. Nothing else matters. Everything I'm doing externally for the brand doesn't mean shit if I don't win gold this summer. So that's the number one priority. And then I build out the list of, you know, the modeling stuff doesn't happen that frequently. It happens every once in a while. It's a few hours shoot here and there. I can work it in around the schedule. The speaking stuff, obviously, if they're paying me well, I'm happy to travel, happy to spend time preparing in order to provide for myself, my family, my friends, whatever that might be, and give a speech every now and then. And then as it comes to all the media stuff, everything with the nonprofit, my schedule is kind of hectic, but I've, I've taken a gap year in between high school, which I graduated last year, and then my freshman year of college to train for Paris and then also fulfill all of these obligations, really optimize, monetize this window leading into Paris. And then as far as the relationship goes, there was a large period of my, my entire high school life where I didn't think that I was going to be able to manage a relationship. And I think for me, it came down to finding the right person where it wasn't a burden, the right person who not only pushed me to be better, but you know, helped me manage all of this stuff. And if anything, I feel like I've become more efficient, more optimized mm. since this girl has come into my life. But I think it's for me, another thing is 
I'm just about willing to sacrifice everything to accomplish my goals. It's as simple as that. I'm literally willing to give up everything in my life to accomplish my goals. And when I phrase it like that in my head, when I tell myself that on a daily basis, I'm willing to miss a hangout. I'm willing to go to bed at 7.30 to get up early the next morning to train the next day. I'm willing to spend four or five hours at the track, then come home and do tons of recovery while I'm writing a speech that I'm giving next weekend. I'm willing to sacrifice my own mental health, my own mental sanity at certain points in order to accomplish my goal. And there's just no time for BS in my life right now. Everything's optimized, everything's efficient. And when I have that type of approach to everything that I'm doing, I feel like I'm guaranteed to succeed. Dude, hell yeah. I think that's perfectly said. And I like how you also said I'm guaranteed to succeed as well at the end of that. Like, I feel you need to see it in your mind to accomplish anything, but it's, I feel like it's really not that hard to convince yourself that something will work out when you are giving up everything for it because there is no plan B. There is no, there is no this won't work 100%. out. It just won't happen, right? So 100%. I love that you think that way, man. How many hours a day do you spend uh, training right now? So the interesting, the interesting thing about track is it's not like basketball or football where you could throw a football at receivers for seven, eight hours a day. You could shoot hoops for seven, eight hours a day and, and not risk injury. Track, I can't high jump or sprint full speed or long jump for eight hours a day. I would destroy my body. I would yeah. get injured. So it's really about maximizing the time that I'm on the track, making sure the time that I'm on the track is the most efficient. I'm getting the most out of it. So I... It, it depends, but typically I'll be at the track for two, two and a half hours. Hmm. Oftentimes there's a weightlifting session that's about an hour and a half afterwards, plus a few hours of recovery. But then some days if they're stacked up, that's seven, eight hours that I'm spending doing this, similar to a nine to five, and then I get home and then I have to do other recovery stuff before bed. So it's really, for me at least, it's a holistic commitment. It's easy. It's easy easy to work hard when you're on the track. It's so easy to work hard when you're at the gym, when you're in the weight room, when you're picking up the weights. How hard is it to actually optimize everything in your life? To eat healthy, to sleep well, to recover well, to meditate, to visualize, yeah. to eliminate all distractions, all negative people from your life. It's a holistic commitment for me. I know it's easy to work out when I show up to the track, but it's harder to sacrifice all the way around. And hmm. for me, that's what I'm aiming to do at all times, which is I don't view this as I just show up at the track and work out. I view this as a life commitment to something that I must sacrifice more than the man standing next to me when we get to Paris. Nice. Well, in terms of what you've had to sacrifice, can you go into that a little bit? I know yeah. you said like friendships, like yeah. I'm sure you've had to cut people out. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. like what you probably don't play video games or watch I Netflix. Don't, or I don't play stuff. video games. Like, if if I if I watch Netflix, I may be able to get a few episodes in and then I just can't finish the series. Yeah. <laughs> that's a common, that's a common occurrence. My girlfriend goes, did you, did you finish that, that Netflix series? Like, nope. I, I watched a few episodes and then I just shit happened and I couldn't finish it. But yeah, for, yeah as, as far as the sacrifice goes, I mean, we know you hear it all the time that you must sacrifice in order to succeed. That's the fact of the matter. But when you're actually going through it, it's a real testament. How bad do you want your goals? How bad do you want to succeed? How bad do you want to be great? And for me, how badly I wanted to succeed and be great completely outweighed any initial excitement I would have to do things that would negatively benefit my goals. So I had no issue 
turning down parties all throughout high school. I had no issue missing out on hangouts. I had no issue missing out on fun social events because I had to train or get it the next day or junk food or alcohol or whatever other teenagers or high schoolers might be doing. Hell, I was even supposed to miss my prom because I was at a track meet. I ended up getting injured and I was able to, uh, this is a few years ago, I got injured and I ended up being able to fly back and make it, but I was prepared to miss my prom for a track meet. Mm -hmm. Although my mom might have not agreed with the decision, that's what I was willing to do. So all these these little sacrifices throughout high school, which seem daunting to someone who doesn't have a real purpose behind them, and that's what I was talking about, that purpose. If I didn't have purpose, if I didn't have meeting, if I was just doing this for fun, then when shit got real- Or if your parents were the ones pushing you. Or if you. my parents were the ones pushing me, yeah. when shit gets hard, I would so easily be like, ah, no, I'll just go to the party. I'll just go to the hangout. It's fine. I don't care enough about this. This is everything to me. This is this is life or death. This is I will either I will either succeed or I will die trying. That's my mentality. And so I will happily miss a hangout. I will happily, you know, miss out on eating the birthday cake at the party or eating ice cream or eating McDonald's or staying up late playing video games with my friends. All that stuff means nothing. Well, that's interesting because. I feel like a lot of people think of the word sacrifice as like you need to get rid of fun things but the way you're talking about it it sounds like you like that exactly you're like, yeah no problem and that's exactly. what I, I finally have started to realize that in my own life um you know like i used to look at going out right going out and drinking on friday or saturday oh i have to stay in now when you like something so much when you enjoy your routine for me it's for you it's athletics for me it's my business like yep. growing growing this brand this yep. social media presence i enjoy it so much that I don't even want to go out. Like yep. on Friday and Saturday, both my roommates were like, "Yo, you want to go out? We're going to this comedy show, and then we're going to drink." And I was like, "No." Like, I, I was really excited to come out here to do this podcast. I had shit to get done. I didn't want to be tired. Yeah, I wanted to be like you know mentally clear. You know, so when you do it, I think it's so important. The like step one is find your purpose. If yes. you don't know why you're doing something, then what's the point in the first place? One hundred percent. I think a lot of people are kind of like I said. They don't know why they're working so hard towards something. Maybe it's their parents or, or society or or like the path has been made for them. But Other you, people's expectations. Yeah, 100%. but you chose your own path. Can you tell us a little bit how that started? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. out of all the things you could have done with your life, you could have, I mean, you could have wanted to, you could have wanted to be like a professional video game player. You could have wanted to be a, a entrepreneur like me, whatever, you know, why did you choose track? Mm -hmm. Like what led you to where you are now? Yeah. That's a good question. Growing up, I played pretty much every sport and sports for me was a big part of my identity because I believed it was the only place where I could go where I could separate from that identity of living with the physical disability, of being the kid with one leg. It gave me a place to fit in. It gave me a place to eliminate all those external voices, people underestimating me, people counting me out, whispering about me, other people's opinions of whatever my situation might have been. It gave me a safe haven. And so it was a really big part of who I was growing up was just being an athlete, playing sports. I found a lot of friends that way. And then when I was eight years old, my dad took me to my first track meet. And I did track seasonally, I did it for fun, I was playing basketball, soccer, and then track was just included into the mix. When I was 11 years old, I was watching the Rio 2016 Paralympics, and I was watching the games on my couch in my living room, and I was this, it was this almost out-of-body experience where I felt like the universe was telling me, this is your calling, this is what you're meant to do. And I looked at my parents sitting next to me, and I told them, I'm gonna make the Tokyo 2020 Paralympic team. And they were like, 
All let's right, do buddy. it. All right. They're, no, they were like, oh, they were smart. My, my parents looked oh, at me and they're like, yeah, I love my, to hear that. My parents looked at me and they're like, let's do it. 99% and of parents would be like, all right, relax, bro. Exactly. Because listen, kids have ambitious, crazy dreams all the time. They want to be an astronaut, an NBA player. They have all these things. This was mine. I was 11, saying that in four years, I was going to be at the highest level competition in the world. And I and was you were just pretty new to it. And too, I was right? pretty new to it. I was yeah. just doing it for fun at that point. And my parents looked me dead in the eyes and said, let's do it. And so fast forward five years, right? Because COVID, we got there was another year before Tokyo. The games got pushed back. I made that dream happen. I worked my tail off. I sacrificed literally all of my high school life. I gave everything into this. I built an amazing team around me. My parents were my biggest supporters the whole way. And then sure enough, I made that happen. And that began my track and field career was me sitting on the couch, being inspired by watching people like me compete at the highest level, and I found my purpose. Was there anyone in specific on that TV that mm -hmm. called you, like that had a, yeah, there was. That, had that impact, or was it everyone? No, it was it, it was one person in specific. Um, it was this, this high jumper who, I don't know if you know, the way the Paralympics works is everyone competes against people with the same or similar disability. Mm -hmm. So I, as an above-the-knee amputee, will only compete against other above-the-knee amputees or people with a similar impairment. I will never compete against someone who's blind oh, or missing sense. an arm. or that would, that would obviously be unfair. And so I was watching uh, Sam Grew, who was an above-the-knee amputee. He was a high jumper. I watched him win a silver medal. A few years prior, I met him for the first time, and then I began to watch his trajectory as he was climbing. He won his first world title, then he won silver at the Paralympics, and I was watching him on the TV screen, and I thought, I want to compete with this guy. Like, I could do that. I could do that. And then fast forward five years, he won gold in Tokyo, and I competed with him. I got fifth, and we made the national team together. Nice. Which is a cool full circle moment. And then yeah. this summer, I broke his world record for the first time, and he was no the first person way. to text How me. old is he? He's 24 now. 24 on his, he's sort of wow. retiring. He's going to med school now and he wants to become a doctor, but I broke his world record. And the first text I got was from him congratulating me. So that's awesome, dude. Full circle completely. Hell yeah, dude. I love to hear that. And then in those early days, I feel like I remember you saying something along the lines of like, you didn't feel like you were, did you feel like you were treated differently by your teammates or by opposing teammates at all? A hundred percent. I was. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, dude, growing up, every basketball game I ever played in, they were like, take, take it easy on this kid. Take it easy on this kid. Five like pity? Pity. Oh, wow. Five, six, seven possessions in, I have five, six, seven baskets, and then they're actually starting to they're guard like, what me. what the fuck? They're, I mean, I was, I, was at a high, I, was at a, I was at a meet one time, and the competition started. This is in middle school, keep in mind. This is middle school track and field. It's not that serious. And my coach overhears some kids talking and they go, I'm not about to lose to this kid with one leg, man. I'm not about to lose to this kid with one leg. What the hell is he doing? And my coach comes up to me and goes, you got to win this shit. <laughs> and I didn't even know what she meant at the time. I didn't realize how, what was going on. Yeah. I ended up winning the competition and those claps at the beginning, the first start, the first few jumps, everyone's like, oh, you know, good job, buddy. That's great. You cleared. And then it's like, oh, okay. All right. And then sure enough, I went on and beat those same kids. And then my coach told me afterwards, she goes, you don't know what you just did. And that was so exciting for me because my whole life I've been underestimated. Literally everywhere I go, people think I can't do things. I'll be picking up groceries and people, do you need help? Are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. I'm good. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. I'm fine. I'm okay. I'll be walking down the street. I'll do anything. And people say, I'm so proud of you for getting up and walking down. Thanks. I appreciate it. But 
why does everyone think that just because I have one leg, I can't do shit? What I, do you say? You say, I'm proud of you too. Yeah, I should say that back, everyone. <laughs> I mean, listen, you're people, good. people, you're good, right? Yeah. People are, they're not intending to be, to be yeah. rude. It's just the unfortunate way society views people with disabilities as if it's the worst thing in the world. And if, as if their life sucks because they're missing a leg. They're almost like teaching you to be a victim in a way. Literally. Kind of like what I was saying earlier. Literally. They're kind of forcing you down that path um, naturally. Because, it's unfortunate. Because you hear, you see nobody with a physical disability in the mainstream media looking like a boss, doing dope shit, changing perceptions. Nobody's doing that. How many mm -hmm. A-list celebrities are there with the physical disability that you could even name right now? Zilch. How many, yeah. how many Olympians can you name? I, I mean, like Michael, Michael Phelps, Phelps, Simone Serena Biles, Williams, Kobe Bryant, yeah. Serena Williams. Yeah. You could go on and on. Yeah. How many Paralympians can the average person name? Yeah, none. Zilch. That's, that's the problem right there. Yeah. That's what we have to change. Dude, I love that. There's a whole mission behind this. Man, that's so sick. And I, I really, once again, I really like how you're trying to be as well-rounded as possible in terms of other things. Because, like, in the future, people already do look up to you. But in the future, people will look up to you for so many different reasons, right? Like, everything from just being, like, a genuine good person to being motivational in a lot of different aspects, not just athletics, but, like, yeah, I don't even know how you're doing it, to be honest. I think it's fucking sick. <laughs> Thank you. Could Thank you, you, what do you think is your biggest challenge right now? Mm. Your bottleneck. I, bottleneck's a business term, obviously, but mm -hmm. what, what's, what are, what is like, it could be in your personal life, like trying to balance time with your family, or it could be like specifically on the track. What's something that you're struggling with right now, and how are you going about getting better at it? My biggest challenge is learning what my balance looks like. Now, I don't really believe in the term balance the way normal people explain it nowadays. I don't believe that you put in 50% here, you should put in 50% here. I don't believe that just because I train for three hours means I have to relax for X amount of hours or that if you're working really hard, you then must have relaxation time. I don't fully believe that. But for me, my issue is I'm so intense and I'm such an obsessive and I have such an addictive personality that I sometimes lose my mind a little bit in the process and my mental health starts to drop because I'm just so obsessively thinking about everything, trying to You're make sure really everything's optimized. I'm moving really fast. If I, if I, do one thing in the workout a little bit behind, I'm stressing. If I eat a little piece of a chocolate cookie, three months later, I'll be laying in bed thinking, fuck, I had that piece of cookie. I'm not going to win. That's why I was two seconds slower. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's how I am. Yeah. And so I think that's important. And I think it's actually benefited me throughout my life because I think that's the reason I've been able to reach any levels of success so far. I mean, I don't even really consider what I've what I've done success yet, but uh, reach levels of of accomplishment of things that I'm proud of is because I've, I've been that way, but it's about learning how to control myself to rather than being so crazy, obsessive, intense, and then losing the joy in the process is make it more of a game, make it more enjoyable, find the beauty in the little things, start to appreciate the journey a little bit more instead of being so obsessive that my mental health then declines a little bit, or I'm not in a great place and I'm snappy with the people that I love when I don't intend to be. And I feel like that's inevitable to a certain degree, but learning how I can manage that and how the people in my life can support me to help me stop slipping when things get really chaotic. Yeah, I do think it is inevitable. Honestly, I think you look at the highest achievers in any field, whether it's a guy like Steve yeah. Jobs or Tom Brady, like they're never 
like normal chill people. They're obsessive, right? And I think how you look at it really shapes how it affects you. And, you know, like I've had people tell me like, you got to chill, bro. Like you got, you can't work as much. Like I'm working probably 90 hours a week right now, Yeah. but I love it. Like I love yeah, like, this, exactly. this to me is work. I love this. I'd rather yeah. do this and go out to like a random bar or whatever. 100%. People will be like, bro, you need to have more balance. Like why? Exactly. Says you, like I, you hate your life, right? So 100%. I think it's all how you look at it. And I think that's a, you know, I like how you brought that up because you are doing the most but you also really enjoy it. You yeah. feel like it gives you it gives you that purpose. How do you go about balancing? This is a question I like to ask a lot because mm. I think it's important. How do you go about motivating those around you? Because I'm assuming mm. you're the type of person that like you want to be the best yourself, but you're not like selfish at all. You're not. I mean, you're selfish about your own goals, but I can tell that you're the type of person that wants to build up those around you. I mean, that's that's what your whole purpose is 100%. like inspiring others how do you go about getting you know your your high school friend who might not be trying that harder like your your little cousin who's on a bad path mm-hmm. like whatever how do you go about motivating those types of people that's a good question i think that the best way is to lead by example and you hear the the line all the time when parents are talking about parenting they say kids won't do as you say they'll do as you do mm-hmm. And I believe the same applies to people in your life. You can say all this stuff. I could tell my friend to do this. I could tell my friend to do that. But if I'm not doing that myself, if I'm not being an example of, of someone who is, is driven, committed, focused, and not distracted by these external things, then how am I expecting him to follow in the same footsteps? So for me, I think it comes down to surrounding myself with people who believe in me and see see life in the same way I do, see their goals in the same way I do, and then as well, leading by example. And the combination of those two things are, are really important for me because the people that I give my energy to, and I'm sure you feel this a lot, the people you give your energy to, the people you give your time to have to be people that are filling your bucket. You know the term filling your bucket? Mm. It was a book that I read back in my, my childhood when I, we were in elementary school about how things you say to people, the way you interact with other people can either fill their bucket or they can you can take from it, right? Hmm. So if I'm a dick to someone, if I'm rude, if I'm disrespectful, if I belittle someone, I'm now taking from their bucket. Versus if you and I sit down, have an intellectual, inspiring, engaging conversation, we just fill each other's buckets, our day is gonna be a little bit better, or we're a little more uplifted, where our, our, our mental state is a little bit, a little bit greater. And so I try to think of who am I around and are they filling my bucket? And are they making me a better person? Are they making me happier? Are they adding value to my life? And if I'm surrounding myself with those people, then in turn, they're going to see my goals the same way I do. Because listen, I've had friends. I've had friends. I don't even know if you call them friends at this point. I have people that used to be in my life that would shit on my goals, would make fun of me, would tell me I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z, say, I don't know if you're going to do that this summer, man. Calm down the expectations. I don't, I don't hang around with those people anymore because they weren't filling my bucket, man. They weren't, they weren't adding value to my life. And so as far as the people I do have in my life now, highly motivated, highly driven individuals who are adding nothing but love and positivity because that's what you need from the people that are around you. 100%. That's one of the first steps also, obviously like mindset and purpose and everything, but yeah, you, if, if, if people are weighing you down or like you said, yeah, taking, taking yeah. away, then it's just going to be so much harder to get anywhere you need to go. And the, the thing is like, there's no easy way, at least in my experience, there's no easy way to go about 
cutting people off. You just have I to agree. do it. I agree. And, and it sucks. And I, it's like, and oh, listen, it's your I've high school seen, friend. Yeah. Like, whatever. I've seen your videos on it yeah. before I even had to do any of this stuff. And I, you see successful people talk about it all the time, having to, you know, in order to get to point X, you have to leave behind people that are dragging you down. And I always thought, no, man, there's no way I'm going to act. No, that's real. Yeah. That's real. I'm not around a lot of the same people that I used to be around because I was obviously forced to be around them because of high school and social scenes and whatever it might be. Exactly. But now that everyone's sort of gone their separate ways, now I can see who are people that I want to spend my time around. And I've literally had to live that experience, which is something I never thought I was going to have to go through. It's hard. Um, it, you do get better at it over time, as I'm sure you've realized. Like now you're at the point where you're like, if anyone's negative energy at all, sorry, bro. Yeah, yeah. No nice time. meeting you. See ya. Right. But at the beginning, it's hard because people will shit talk you after you've cut them off. They will, they'll say, yeah, Ezra thinks he's too good for us, whatever. Like, they probably you, are. Yeah, that. yeah, you are. I've had people say that about me. They're like, yeah, Pactor thinks he's too good for us. And it's it's literally just like you need to surround yourself with good people. And I think if you do surround yourself with good people, things just start happening for you. I don't know if that's just been – maybe it's not. But I, my next question was going to be it seems just like a lot of opportunity has come your way and you've absolutely made the most of it, whether it is like the modeling or yeah. public, public speaking or totally. um, whatever, right? gigs in all aspects i feel like stuff just starts like you do have to get lucky this actually that's a great question i want to ask you but i think things just like start happening for you things start working out the right way if you're a good person if you push others up um and i know like i feel extremely i used to not believe in luck at all i used mm. to think luck doesn't exist you make your own luck yeah and I still do feel that way in some in some sense, but I also feel like over the past year, like things have just really started working out for me, and I feel very fortunate. Um, but it's because I've put myself in a position to succeed. What do you think? Do you think luck is real? Do you think? Um, yeah, I'll let you kind of take over on that. I think I think luck is real if you believe it's real. Yeah. So there was a study that I, I heard about a while ago where. If people told themselves that they were a lucky person, they reported back that things happened to them that just happened to be ridiculously lucky. And then another group of people who said that I'm not a lucky person, nothing ever goes my way, things actually didn't end up going their way. And so I believe self-hypnosis is unbelievably real. I believe the story you tell yourself is almost more important than what's actually happening. And I myself have always believed that in order to achieve this luckiness or have success or have things just roll and flow my way, almost in a flow state where things are just moving, I have to put in the work. I have to put my time and energy into the universe and then I will be rewarded accordingly. And I've always felt that way. The same way, it's the the saying where if you want to if you want if you want to win the lottery, you got to make enough money to buy the ticket, right? Yeah. So you have to I have to <laughs> I thought of that movie right there. Yeah, yeah exactly. I have Take to I have to I have to be put I have to be putting myself in these positions to have luck and have all these things but I really believe if you tell yourself you're a lucky person you will see things and you will determine that oh yeah that's this is good fortune this is exciting things will shift in your mind this is something that's good for me this is beneficial look at all this luck that's happening to me versus if you say I'm not a lucky person things never go my way you will perceive things in that same manner and I think the story you tell yourself impacts the luck that you have Dude, that's so powerful, and I love that you said that because 
Oh, who's it by? There's this amazing speech out there. I heard about it from, have you heard of Tom Bailu? By no, no. He invented, he uh, started the company Quest Nutrition, sold it mm. for like a billion dollars. Mm. Crazy successful entrepreneur, public speaker. And he was talking about this one speech called What is Water? And I forget who wrote it, but essentially it's exactly what you were just talking about, or at least that was my takeaway. Mm. There's these two fish swimming, another fish swims by them and they go, like, morning, fellas, how's the water? And they swim for another, you know, couple minutes and then they turn and look at each other and they go, what the fuck is water, right? They have no idea what's going around them because they're not able to see it because they just don't know it's there. Yeah. And so you do, per, like fish don't know that they're in water. We can see that. Yeah. They have no idea, right? So you see the world in whatever way that's kind of been given to you from day one. And there's there's really just like, the the reason he explains it like that is, because then he goes on this process of explaining like how the average everyday person will get off work, they'll sit in traffic, they'll go to the grocery store and they'll think negative. Oh, of course this person in front of me is taking forever. Oh, of course this person mm -hmm. just cut me off in traffic. And you you attract negativity into your life when you focus on those things, or you can shift your mindset and think like, I'm gonna have a good day today. I was kind of just yapping there about nothing, honestly. Um, but no, no, that makes sense, 100%. If you're, when you're, when you're in it, the the way you view reality is more important than what's actually happening yeah. in reality. And so if you are if you are looking at the world from a negative perspective thinking my life sucks, everything's going wrong, I'm not a lucky person, why does nothing good ever happen to me? Then when something happens, you will be more likely to associate that with negative emotions with something bad in your life. And as then opposed in, to your as own hard work. As opposed to your own hard work or dedication versus if you're thinking positively, you think everything's been working out, everything's great, you've been telling yourself positive things, you're in a good mental state. When something comes your direction, you will, you will be more inclined to view it as a positive, view it as a blessing, view it as a gift, view it as something that is, that is working earned. out for you, you earned, whatever it might be. And then that then influences, because listen, it snowballs. Yeah. This is what happens. People get into a negative rut, then it gets worse, and then bad things happen, then it gets worse and worse and worse, and they're spiraling, and then they wallow in the darkness for the next six months and are depressed, yeah. right? How do you convince yourself that things are working out, things are moving the right direction, even if on paper they may, may not look like it? I'm sure for you, there's been times where things have not been working out, things have not been going your way, but you're still sitting there thinking, yeah, this is gonna work out, this is all a part, oh yeah, okay, this didn't work, okay, that's good, because now I know to not do this next time, and blah, blah, blah. The way you view it, will literally change your reality. 100%. I like to look at negative things as a good thing. And I will say I've been very fortunate compared to some um, in terms of like, I haven't had anything in my life happen that was like, I haven't, I haven't, this, this probably will happen at some point, but I haven't had like a, a close family member or anything pass away. I haven't, I haven't had like any crazy traumatic yeah. experiences. I've definitely had um, some things happen that I haven't talked about on social media, but whatever it is, whether it's like an issue in business or like a family problem, I like to look at it as a good thing because mm -hmm. I, I look at life as a mountain and mm -hmm. like you will climb, 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 and you hit this peak and everything seems great and the view is amazing. And it just seems like, wow, like how could it get any better? And what happens when you hit a peak though, you can't go any higher, you have to go down. So you're climbing this mountain, you hit a peak, everything's great, you go down a little bit. But you don't go down forever. If anything, the bottom point of this this new level that you've been going down towards is much higher than where you originally started. Yep. So, yep. you know, you're making money, you got this hot girlfriend, um, you know, you're popular, you have friends, whatever, you get cheated on. Damn, yep. that sucks. You go down a little bit. 
And then eventually you rebound at this bottom level because there's nowhere else to go and you keep climbing again. And then things start working out again. You get even higher than the other time. You hit a new peak. And I think that's just how life goes. I agree. Like it will never be good forever. Something bad will happen. But if you look at it, not as like, oh, this is the end of the world. Like, you know, I have the worst luck. Kind of like you said, Mm -hmm. if you look at it as like, you know what? Things have been going really well. It's it's only just like common sense that something bad would happen, but it'll it'll go away. It'll pass. Like I love the saying, "This too shall pass." Because then love, you're just I love that. I you're love just that on too. the climb back again, right? That was a Tom Hanks. There's that Tom Hanks video. I saw that, that video. Yeah, that's right. That's a great. From. That's One a of my friends video. has it tattooed on his arm. I was thinking about it too. It's a great quote. He's like, "Oh, you're feeling great. You're feeling amazing. Yeah, this too shall pass. Exactly. Oh, your life sucks. Everything is going wrong. Yeah, this too shall pass. I love that quote, and I agree with everything you just said. And I want to I want to point out, and I want to clarify that. When we're talking about viewing things in a positive way and, you know, something that's negative can actually be a positive, that's obviously excluding all of these really yeah, horrible like someone travesties, dying someone dying in a car accident. accident. There, are, there are outliers that, yeah. that are, this is just on a general level for day-to-day things that are happening, not at that magnitude that you just referenced, for sure. And then as well, this is something I haven't even shared online before. After I won world championships this summer, I spent the next month doing tons of media. I I accomplished a lifelong dream of mine. I was the world champion. I was the best in the world. I broke the world record. I I spent so many years visualizing that moment. I was so excited. It was the best day of my life. I was in Paris. I went to Barcelona with my buddy. We came back. I was having the best time. And then once I got back to -to day-to-day life, everything felt slightly mundane. I went from the biggest high, the craziest adrenaline rush, the craziest dopamine rush, something I'll never forget, and then I came right down. Day-to-day life felt mundane, relationships with family, friends felt bleak and dry, and I was realizing I wasn't even happy. I was so confused. I said, "Why? this is what I've dreamed of. This is everything I've worked for. Why am I not happy? Three weeks after winning my first world title, I'm sitting here not happy, barely smiling. I felt dry, empty. What is going on? And I put so much emphasis on that goal. I put so much energy into it that when I accomplished it, I look around and I went, this is it? I, did, I just did it? And so the only thing that got me out of that was the thought of the Paralympics the next summer, was mm-hmm. setting that next goal, was being surrounded by my family and friends, learning to enjoy the process a little bit more and saying, I got to pull myself out of this. And so that's an example where I went up, I reached the top, and then I went, hold on, what am I doing? I, I, I felt empty. And yeah. then I had to rebound, pull myself back out of it, and go after it again. Well, that's how every champion feels, man. Like whether it's a guy like Tom Brady, there is no, there is no that the idea of this like mountain concept, this metaphor is there is, is no, it's just actual peak. There's little just, yeah. mini ones like Tom Brady. You know, the best ring is the next one, right? Or with Arnold Schwarzenegger, like one, two, three, four, five championships, bodybuilding. You could have stopped there. You're a stud. You're a superstar. No, something bigger. I'm going to become the greatest actor of the time. Then I'm going to go and become the governor, right? There's always something more. And I'm sure like even after you, you know, complete your career in athletics, it's just going to be like, what can I make the new challenge, right? What can I do next? 100%. You have to be always moving forward. And that's why I hate this idea of like peaking in life. Um, But let's talk a little bit about visualization. Mm. Uh, You seem like a person that values that heavily. When you go into a race, or maybe something as simple as like asking a girl out, mm. do you, does visualization play any role at all? Like, do you do you see yourself winning in your mind? 
I see myself winning in just about, I visualize every area of my life in regards to my goals. I don't visualize too many day-to-day -day things like asking my girlfriend out for the first time. I, di I didn't really visualize that per se, but I obsessively visualize my goals. Leading up to world championships, about six months, I would, six months before, every single day I did a meditation. And every single day I did that meditation, I would visualize every single thing that would happen when I arrived at the arena, every single thing. I was making it up in my head where I would put my bag down, what I would be feeling, what the air would smell like when I walked into the arena, where the camera would be, where the stands would be, what type of facial hair my competitors would have, where my family would be in the stands, what color the high jump mat would be, what height they would have the bar up when I first walked in, where I'd put my bag, start my warm up, what sweats I would wear, what jacket, everything. It's crazy. Everything. So obsessively, so consistently, even what heights the bar would go up at. I didn't even know what heights they would start at because the way high jump works is they just go up bar, they just set it the night before and then that you go up by that and you jump in wherever you want to start the competition at. I visualized the heights. I visualized what I was going to be coming in at, what height I would finish at, what height my opponents would drop out at, what I would feel like when I won for the first time, that feeling, that adrenaline rush. I visualized everything. And I'm saying this with complete sincerity. Everything happened exactly as I even the competitors, it. Uh, even numbers? the height, even the height my competitors fell out at, even wow. the facial hair my competitors were having. That's where crazy. the camera was going to be, where the, I literally had photos of the arena printed out. I was guessing where we were going to be seated, where the camera was going to be. So when I got there, my senses were holistically prepared for what they were about to experience. There was nothing foreign and it went exactly as I manifested. I was sitting there on the track. Lucas, I got deja vu. I got deja vu because I had lived it so many times in my head previously. It's like routine at this point. You're it like, I like, already, in your mind, you're probably thinking like, I already won. It was fucking butter. Like, I just got to do it It was now. butter. I was just sitting there going, this is easy. That's, That's awesome. literally what it felt like. So I take that same approach with everything. If I'm visualizing uh, the success from a photo shoot or visualizing sponsors and brand and social media success and media success, whatever it might be, public speaking stuff, I visualize everything. I believe I, I, I believe anyone has the capability to really manifest the life that they want by convincing themselves that they are the person who would attract that type of stuff. Has it, has it ever, I think that's so powerful and I fully agree, but has it ever not worked out how you pictured it? And yes. then, and then what kind of, what goes through your mind after that? Oh, my thoughts lied to me. Or is it just like, ah, whatever. Okay. Well, the next one will be right. It's and whatever. It's okay. Okay. That's great. Cause listen, things aren't going to be perfect all the time. There's yeah. a million variables you can't control. Yeah. My goal is control the controllables. Mm -hmm. I'm going to control what I can. I don't know if something crazy happens. If it starts pouring rain and my leg breaks down, I don't visualize my leg breaking down. There's things that just happen. But if you convince yourself of something so fully, I truly believe that it is more likely to happen than if you do absolutely nothing about it. And so if I convince myself that I'm going to win a world title, I'm going to become Paralympic champion, I'm going to go down as the greatest Paralympian of all time. If I convince myself of these things, I believe I am increasing the likelihood substantially that they will come true. 100%, so, dude. And so one of my, um, one of the thing, one of my most recent quotes that I've heard that I absolutely love is mm. the easiest way to predict the future is to create it. And I think humans humans love thinking about the future, whether it's what type of car we're going to have in 30 years or where am I going to be? Like, 
How many kids am I going to have? 100%. Humans love this idea of the future, but it doesn't exist. It, it never has. It never will. It's just time. And so I really think like people set up the path for themselves in their mind by just by trying to imagine like this idea of the future for them is just putting them in a box that is essentially capped. Right. But if you can tell yourself like this is what's going to happen, then you will go and create it, whatever it is, whether it is in sports, whether it's winning a competition, whether it's um, just happiness. 100%. Like if, if you go about your daily life thinking like, oh, I'm I'm not going to figure it out. Once again, this this attitude of like everything doesn't work out in my favor, then it won't. Exactly. But if you wake up every day and you believe like today is going to be a great day, tomorrow is going to be even better. I'm going to do all the things I said I was going to do. And life is awesome, right? If you just tell yourself that, it, dude, it just happens. And like, I love that you said the thing about being lucky earlier because I used to consider myself not a lucky person mm. and not that many things were really going well for me. And I mean, you heard me before we walked into this podcast. I literally said to you, I said to you out loud, I was like, damn, bro, I've been hella lucky recently. Like shit just worked out. Like for everyone listening to this podcast, like um, I fucked up and I scheduled it uh, <laughs> for 11 o'clock in the morning. And then I forgot to change the time on my calendar. And Ezra calls me and he's like, yo, I'm here two hours early. And I'm like, dude, you're early, bro. And he's like, no, I'm not. And like, this is such a great podcast and I'm so glad it worked out. But there very well could have been a chance that like it was just booked at one o'clock, yeah. which is what I, when I thought it was for. Or if I but had scheduled my training at one yeah. today or something like that. Uh, yeah, man, I just feel like I've been getting really lucky recently. And I think it's all hopefully I'm right about this stemmed from like a positive attitude. I think that's like step one. I guess a question I want to ask you is for anybody who's feeling like lost or maybe they just don't know where to start because I think I think a lot of people who may listen in or watch these types of podcasts might not necessarily know the answer. They might they might be feeling lost a little bit, but they want to get better and so they're watching like for hopefully some sort of motivation or yeah. or like that slap in the face whatever. What's your advice on how to get on the right track if you're you know if you don't know what to do. That's the hard thing, right? You and I are very lucky. We're very young. We found something that gives us purpose and meaning and gives us a direction at a very early stage in our lives. A lot of people don't ever find that. So they just follow what they're told. They they get a job that they dislike. They go to school for something that they don't even enjoy and end up working for the rest of their lives with no real purpose and meaning behind anything that they do. So the first step is finding your lane, finding your purpose. What is your, what is your, your, your meaning and, and what is your why? And I think what it comes down to is if you haven't found it yet, it's putting yourself out there. It's trying. I had a friend of mine who told me he didn't know what he wanted to do. He didn't, he wanted to be an athlete. He thought, but he didn't really know. He didn't have a sport that he really enjoyed. He didn't know where his life was going to take him, but he wanted to do something athletic. And I said, all right, let's sign you up for a CrossFit class. Let's sign you up for this. Let's try this. Let's do and so we started trying a bunch of things. He ended up finding what he liked. I think he's DJing now because we just started trying things. I just put him out there and he was figuring out where he wanted to go. And then who knows, he might, what if he goes and starts making content about how to DJ properly, becomes, creates his own channel and then ends up, you know, working for some big DJ as an assistant. We don't know where life could take him. But the first step, in my opinion, is trying things, stepping out of your comfort zone, exploring the possibilities of where this life could take you, where could you find your meaning, where could you find your purpose, where could you find your passion. And once you found that, 
I think it is unbelievably important to outline extremely unrealistic and impossible goals. I think that's necessary. I think most people fail. This is a saying that I love. Most people fail not because they set goals that are too high and don't accomplish them, but rather because they set goals that are too low and then they accomplish those and in turn are leaving crazy potential on the table because they didn't believe that they were capable of more. So once you figured out your purpose, once you figured out this direction, you must set crazy, impossible, audacious, statistically unlikely goals, and then pursue that with the utmost tenacity, the utmost perseverance and sacrifice in order to accomplish them. And I truly believe those three steps, you can pretty much accomplish anything you set Dude. your mind to. Perfectly said. I love that. I fully agree. I think it's that common. It's that common phrase. Like, shoot, what is it? Shoot for the stars, you'll hit the moon. Or is it yeah, yeah, right exactly, 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 right? so, exactly. Yeah, and Elon Musk does that a lot, which I love. Like, Elon Musk will always say, "I'm gonna have this done on this date." He never hits it. Like. Never, right? I'm going to have self-driving cars by 2019 was his original statement. They they yeah. were barely in production, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says like our stock value is much? But how much faster did, did he get He's it done? He's moving faster yeah. than everybody else. Because and because he's setting unrealistic goals. 100%. It's weird, dude. I, I do, I'm trying to do the same with my company in terms of like sales goals. Like I'm, you know, I'll tell myself like I'm going to hit... Uh, 300,000 a month in my first year mm -hmm. in revenue. Mm -hmm. um, we got half that in a yeah. year, right? But that's still like, imagine if I was shooting for like 50K. That's So I, got, I didn't even, I got halfway to my goal, but that's still crazy in one year as like a fucking startup clothing brand with no like budget, and like how bootstrapped. Much, like, you went so much further than you ever would have yeah. thought is possible if you set a goal of 75 or even 100 yeah. or even 120, you might've not even hit yeah. that. And the other thing is, you might set next year another unrealistic goal, or an unrealistic. I don't even like that characterization of it. I'm just saying that so the people understand. But a really, really high goal. It's yeah. just it's just a crazy goal, a crazy dream. You might set another one, and then one year you might fucking blow it out of the water. You yeah. don't know. That's the beauty of it. And I think that human potential is driven by these crazy dreams. One hundred percent. And I think the problem is though that a lot of people hate the idea of being wrong. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves to be right. So that's why they will pick an easy goal, right? They'll pick something that's realistic so that they can be right. Whereas the other guy might pick something way unrealistic, that word once again, unrealistic, and they're wrong, but they still got twice as far as the guy with the realistic one exactly. who was right. You know? so People I, are afraid of failure. Yeah. You have to be okay with failure. You have to be okay with being wrong. I made a TikTok about that yesterday and some people got mad about it for whatever reason. I don't understand. That's like step one is you have to be okay with failure because just like Michael Jordan or Tom Brady, like they might have the most wins, but they've had more failures than everybody else too because they've been around for longer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you just have to be okay with failing. That's but, the thing because listen, people would be okay to fail if they failed in private. Most of the time, it's other people's expectations that influence your perception of failure. Mm -hmm. I had people on the US team call me in the lead up to world championships, friends of mine, and say, listen, man, I don't think you should be going around saying you're gonna be the world champ and saying you're gonna do all this stuff. I love what that you do that. What happens, what happens if you don't do it, man? What it, and I said, I would never not vocalize my goals out of fear of not accomplishing them. Dude, that's perfect. And um, I started doing that myself after I heard McGregor say it a few years ago. So many people say, keep your goals and ambitions private, right? Don't, don't tell people about it because they're going to shit talk you, whatever. Good. That's better. Like, I feel like if you say something that just sounds absolutely ridiculous out loud, 
people will guarantee it, say, all right, buddy, like, relax. But if you end up going through with it and you do accomplish that goal or whatever it is you said you were going to do, number one, that feeling is going to be amazing, right? And you felt that, I felt that. It's going to feel so good to say you're going to do something and actually follow through with it to prove people wrong. And you get that additional motivation Instead of just internal motivation from believing that you can do something yourself, you have the external motivation of everyone else saying you can't do it, right? 100%. So if you don't tell any, they, they say, there's a lot of people say that if you say your goals out loud, that gives you like the dopamine and then you don't even go through with it. I think for a majority of people, yes. But if you are a motivated high achiever, say what you want to do out loud. Tell everyone what your plan is. And then you either have to follow through and you have to do it or you look like an idiot. So it's, like, so it's like extra motivation, you know, and, you know, I, that's why I say, like, I'm going to do this out loud. And I, I tell everyone what my plan is. And I might be wrong. I probably will be wrong at some point. But um, I'll get a lot further than if I just kept it to myself. I agree completely. I think I hear people all the time go, listen, we'll see what happens. I really hope I can screw that. Screw that mentality. The only way you're going to enact the law of attraction and manifest your dreams, you're going to be creating your reality by vocalizing it, by telling the world what you're going to do, by saying it with the utmost confidence. I am never afraid to vocalize my goals because I know for a damn fact they're going to happen. And that's it. If and if they don't, also, if they don't, who cares? Who cares, at least, bro? I, at least, listen, no one, you know, after McGregor lost to, to Nate Diaz, People weren't going, oh my God, he said he was going to knock him out in the first round and he didn't. Oh my God. No, he lost the fight. They were just, oh, McGregor lost. Or if McGregor goes, yeah. I'm going to knock him out in round one, he knocks him out in round two. No one goes, oh, well, Connor, you said That's round true. one. I never thought about no that. No one's, you, you're, what, you said round one? No one cares. Yeah. The dude did it anyways. Yeah. And I believe that a lot of a lot of things in life, if you, if you persist enough with the right approach and you're optimized, I believe you will accomplish it. And so if I say I'm going to be Paralympic champion, I'm going to be Paralympic champion. Now, I think that's this summer. I don't think I actually know that that's going to be this summer, right? But say, God forbid, something happens. I got injured or whatever whatever happened. World I got, War Three, whatever. World War, World, World War Three. the games get canceled and they go, you said, uh, I'll still accomplish it. I'll still make it happen. Yeah. Oftentimes, people look back when, when someone's vocal about this stuff and it doesn't really matter because it's so far in the past and it just, reality has taken over. So... In, in, in our case, if you are someone, and I have seen people say things, I have I, some study or something, I think it was Andrew Huberman even who said it, yeah. about the dopamine you get when you say you're going to do something that it actually makes you less inclined to uh, do it. I completely disagree with that because I think not only does the support from the people who believe in you create that motivation and push you further, but then from the people who don't believe in you, the doubters, if you can use that properly, that can be so much extra motivation to completely 100%. outweigh the small dopamine hit that you might get from saying your goals. You're manufacturing motivation. That's what literally a lot of people think motivation is, is just all going to be like this ball of energy inside of you. And if you're lucky, it's there from day one. But if it's not, there is ways to create it. There's ways to force it out of you, right? Totally. And that's one of the easiest ways is just tell everyone, right? If you're like in a really shitty situation, like maybe it's just you and your mom and you live together and your dad's out of the picture and and there's not that much money in your family and 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 you need to get out of this box that you're in. If you go and you tell your mom to her face, you look her in the eyes, you say, "Mom, I'm going to get us out of here." How much more likely are you going to be 
how much more likely is it that you're going to accomplish that? Are you going to work another 30 minutes extra every single day? When, when you're about to go to bed after a long day of studying, are you going to do it a little bit longer because you're going to remember, I, I looked my mom in the eyes and I promised her I was going to do this. I need to follow through with it, right? So yep. there's ways to manufacture that motivation. Um, and it's really not that hard. You just have to be... You just have to start doing it, and it gets easier every single time, but it can be uncomfortable at the beginning for sure. hundred percent. You know, we both know what that means. But I have a question for you that I ask every guest at, you know, towards the end of every podcast, and that's one, what's one thing that you hold to be true that everybody else would certainly disagree with? Mm. What's, a, what's a big misconception? I have a few that I can think of. I'll go through I'll go through a few. I actually wrote an essay on this in English class in 11th grade and I got a really bad grade because my teacher did not agree. We were learning about Benjamin Franklin's virtues and one of them was moderation. And she was talking about how great moderation is and how we're supposed to write this essay, we're supposed to pick one of the 13 virtues and explain why it's correct. I took this essay and I wrote about the fact that Although moderation is important in certain areas of your life for most people, living a life in moderation will guarantee that nothing great happens. And what I meant by this is I do think moderation is important, but I think moderation is detrimental in order to accomplish greatness. Kobe Bryant didn't train, prepare in moderation. You don't pursue your dreams in the entrepreneur, in the entrepreneur space in moderation. You don't go after your business your business goals with Squid Haas in moderation. You're not committed to this in moderation. I'm not committed to my goals in moderation. You think Tom Brady played football in moderation? You think the greatest athletes, the greatest minds, the greatest influencers of our time ever did X thing in moderation? Absolutely not. So I wrote this essay saying moderation is important for most people, for the average person, in order to help them live a healthy, successful life. But in order to accomplish extreme levels of success, in order to accomplish greatness, moderation is absolutely detrimental. And, and you got a bad grade? I got a B minus or something. Dude, that's so fucked. Of and I wrote a great some... essay too. It was really good. Dude, of course some teacher gave you that fucking grade. Oh my God. Like I, I wrote an essay... I think it might have been my college essay. Yeah, I wrote an essay called "Blame Yourself," mm. and um, oh, I love. I know what you're gonna say. I love. I don't it. know Continue if you've seen though. my video on that, but I my life philosophy is blame yourself. Everything that goes wrong, blame yourself. Yeah. Right. Even your girlfriend cheated on you, blame yourself. Right. Yeah. Obviously, she was the one that made the mistake. mistake. Yeah. She she screwed you over. Whatever. But like, if you look at life like a game and you're always trying to figure out a little, a, like an edge to get better, even if something was completely out of your control, if you can blame yourself, if you can say, oh, what could I have done differently to like stop that from happening or to make sure that doesn't happen again, How could then I you will influenced it? How could I have influenced this just a little bit, right? It's not everything would be your fault entirely, but you could put yourself in positions, you could influence situations in order to be better suited for you, right? To, to help you get X out of the to situation. Be more to be more accountable. And yeah, and people look at, when I say that out loud, because I made a couple of videos on it, I've told a couple of friends about it, they go, that's depressing. You think everything's your fault? I go, yeah. But it's actually, I feel like it's empowering. And I'm curious, this is another mm. little theory that I have that I like to, uh, that I like to talk about a bit and get others take on this. A, a current thing that I've been thinking about a lot is if I don't have something yet, I don't deserve it. 
whether mm. it is something physical like a watch or a car or a relationship, mm. right? Or maybe like it's a, 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 a feeling. Maybe it's um, a feeling of being proud or being happy. I think with everything that I want in life, once again, whether it's physical or something like um, or something in terms of a feeling, I think to myself, if I don't have it yet, I don't deserve it. I just need to work a little harder and I will get it eventually. I don't know when that is, but I will get it. I don't put a timeline or a timestamp on anything. And people say, people get upset. They go, oh, what? Some people don't deserve to be happy. Yeah. Mm. Why do you do, why do you deserve to be happy? Why do you deserve to be confident? What have you done to get there, right? Yeah. Except complain and make sure. everybody else's sure. life miserable. What do you, how do you think? Of- now, this is interesting. And I, and I, I'm kind of torn on what I fully believe here. Originally, I believed that. I believed what you just said, that in order to achieve success, I must deserve it. I deserve this. I deserve that. I deserve these things because I've worked unbelievably hard, right? Or I don't, you don't get anything unless you deserve it. You don't get success unless you deserve it. And then leading up to world championships, I heard an, an Alex Hormozzi quote where he essentially said that he was a shitty person and he felt, why would I ever be deserving of success? And then a switch flipped for him when he realized that he doesn't have to be deserving of it. He just has to do the things to get the thing. He has to do the things to get success. And I thought about that, and I don't know which perspective I, I, I believe more, but I'm just throwing both out mm-hmm. there to hear your, your thoughts on it, that you don't, the other, the contrary is you don't have to deserve it. You just have to do the things to get the thing. Well, that's why it's a little tricky because I don't look at the word deserve or the idea of deserving something. I never put um, a certain, I never like attach a, I need to do this to it. It's Mm. more of like a a concept, right? Sure. It's, it's, it's the reason I look at it as being empowering is if I don't have the thing yet, it's not depressing at all. It just means I need to work a little bit harder and I don't know when it'll happen. I agree Um, with that. I agree with that. And so, you know. And I, I just, yeah, once again, it's very empowering because I say, you know, like, well, yeah, I want a uh, British racing green Porsche. Mm. I don't have one yet. Mm. Do I really deserve it? Probably not. When will I deserve it? When I get it. Exactly. That's how I feel. I'll, I, I'll, I, I'll, I'll, I'll deserve it when I get it. I agree. And I don't I know agree. when that'll be, I but agree with that. I'll work till that happens. I agree with that. I agree with that. I don't even know what I believe on the situation, but yeah. I agree that it's a way for most people to motivate themselves. It's a way for most people to feel empowered. I think that's a great message. But then I also think if someone's, if you are sitting at home and you feel like you're a crappy person and you feel, why would I deserve success? Why would I deserve these things? Even if you might be working hard, just remember, and this is what Alex Hermosi said, which is was sort of, I was sort of toying around with in my head as you were speaking. I don't really know which one I agree with, but you just have to do the things to get the thing. You have to do the steps, do the work, and you'll get the success. Yeah. The, the universe doesn't say, oh, well, you once did that one bad thing to that person. You're not going to get this now. No, no, no. No, just do the things, work hard, take the necessary steps, and you'll get the success. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's, it's a balance. I don't know which one I... Dude, I mean, it's kind of this... We're kind of saying the same thing in just different forms, honestly. And they're for different purposes, right? Yeah. They're for di- I'm talking about specific, tangible goals yeah. that people think, oh, I won't accomplish it unless I'm a good person or I'm deserving of it. But oftentimes, doing the work is you deserving that for thing. For sure. And I look at anyone who's accomplished something that's impressive 
any of the mentors in my life or people that I've had on the podcast or just like friends of parents, like I've, I've been very, I'm sure you have too. Like I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of really remarkable people. And the one thing that's consistent across all of their personalities, their, their pasts is simply like they, they just deserve it. Like they've worked really fucking hard and they've had a great attitude and they've treated people well. There's, so many fewer people that I know that don't deserve whatever they have than people that do deserve it, right? Every every once in a while, yeah, life's unfair. Someone might get a handout. Someone might screw people over um, to climb the ladder. But usually, like, I do believe in karma. It makes its way around. And in general, the people that tend to be the happiest and have the most friends, be the most liked, and accomplish the most things are people who just deserve it because they just put more effort in than everybody else, and they just try over and over and over. I like agree. you, dude. Like I agree. You. I appreciate it. And you too. Thanks, and you man. too. And this is what's cool, which is I'm in my gap year right now. I'm not around a lot of uh, I'm not around a lot of my friends. Of the, most of my close friends are in college and stuff like that. So it's great to be able to to sit down and have a real heart to heart, have a, a conversation about our philosophies, the things that we both agree on, disagree, whatever that might be. And it's cool to, to to see eye to eye on this type of stuff with someone. Oh, yeah, man. I fully agree. That's been, I mean, yeah, even though, like, I'm entrepreneur first, TikTok, YouTube, all that shit second, uh, hitting the record button for me has been the most impactful thing I've done because I've gotten to meet so many cool people. I think the world, I think trying to go for anything of a high level, trying to be ambitious, whether it is in entrepreneurship or or athletics or music or acting, whatever, it's lonely because people will talk shit about you and people will criticize you and people will doubt you. But if you can just find the other people that are doing that also, and they don't even have to be in your field, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. extremely motivating. And it, it, it makes you, it's, it's so much less isolating. And for me, it's been through social media, like meeting you, meeting all these other cool people. I just moved to Austin, met a lot of great people there through social media. It's like, you just have to go and look for those kind of people. And they will, um, and you're kind of attracted to each other in a way. It just happens to like work out. Um, but I kind of want to finish it off with, is there anyone in your life that inspires you? Like who, who's most inspiring to you? Is it yourself? Is it, or is it a family member, a friend, another athlete? I think my parents inspire me the most. I, you know, my, my family, my mother's side immigrated from Iran in right, right before the revolution started a life out of absolutely nothing. My grandfather, who I have tattooed, uh, I have a signature tattooed on my wrist right there. They started a life with absolutely nothing, providing for my family. And then my parents are two of the most hardworking people I've ever met in my entire life. They have supported me holistically. They have given so much up to help me accomplish my dreams, to be able to put me in a position to succeed. And that is something I'm unbelievably grateful for. And as well, they've dedicated their lives to the disabled movement now. They've we, My dad gave up a corporate job and spent the last decade providing sports opportunities for this community and being an advocate for the disabled community and literally changing lives in the process. They are two of the most purpose-driven individuals I've ever met, and they work unbelievably hard providing for my family and for the whole disabled community. And I hope to one day, when I accomplish all these things that I speak about, 
be able to give back to them in the same way they gave to me. That's really my dream, giving back to the people who invested in me since day one, and my parents are at the top of that list. Dude, fuck yeah. I'm happy to hear that, man. That's awesome, and it's in, it's inspiring, um, not only in like a, a personal sense, but in, um, in, in looking forward to being a parent yourself. I'm sure you're going to be a yep. phenomenal yep. dad. I'm sure Thank you're excited you. for that. I, um, I do Just wanna... like I am, bro. I mean, yeah, you, we want to create the world that we want our kids to be a part of. Um, but That's yeah, beautiful. Dude, phenomenal podcast. Thanks for coming on. Um, love talking to you, man. And everyone, thank you for watching. Um, if you have any questions for Ezra, I'll leave his handles and everything in the description. And then um, leave a like, subscribe, or comment any questions you have for future episodes. But thanks for tuning in. Thank you, everybody.